Welcome to the CC Podcast, where we deliver authentic, inspiring, and below-the-surface conversations with people striving to walk with God each day. Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, the CC Podcast. It's been a few weeks since we've done one of these conversations. Uh, Coronavirus kind of got in the way, and uh, we've got some guests lined up that we're excited for you to hear in the upcoming weeks. But uh, today, you're going to be uh, treated to a special experience. We've got Nathaniel Parrish in the studio today, and Nathaniel is the organist and worship director at Nazareth Church. Is that your title? Director of Worship and Music. All right. I think, yeah. And uh, not only are we going to talk to him a little bit about worship and music, but we're going to listen to him play the organ. He's basically going to give us an organ recital today. We, we already recorded it, and I'm really glad that we recorded it. We just got done. We've got, I think, about 12 songs that we're going to play throughout the uh, remainder of this podcast, and we're going to intersperse some conversation around it. And I think that uh, people will be blessed and inspired. And uh, how are you feeling after 12 songs? A little tired. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> You told me that you might need some breaks in there. And when we get to like uh, Wider's Vidor. Vidor. Yep. Wider. <laughs> when we get to Vidor's Takata and uh, Stars and Stripes Forever, you're really moving up there. And uh, so just tell about the, the just briefly, the physical experience of playing the organ. Then we'll get to introducing you. Sure. Um, at Nazareth, our organ's really tough to play, um, mostly because it takes up a lot of physical space. And um, all of the mechanics that make uh, the keys play and the wind come through the pipes um, has to be done physically. And so the more that I have going on the organ in terms of stops and in terms of um, coupling or pairing different manuals or keyboards together, the harder it is to play. And so when you have a really busy passage where your fingers are just moving a mile a minute, um, it's it's the equivalent of probably trying to sprint a mile, you know, and just trying to keep keep up and and keep your fingers going and and not letting the pain set in too much, you know. I thought it was funny when you were doing uh, Takata, <laughs> which is like sixteenth notes the entire time for like six minutes. Yeah, right, uh, right. I thought uh, you said we're doing this one time. I got one one take on this, and fortunately, it turned out pretty well. So people get to hear that. That'll be toward the end of the podcast. Uh, Nathaniel, how on earth did you get into playing an organ? I was thinking about this uh, when I was headed over here this morning. Are there many organists your age or younger? I don't think so. No. It, se it seems like uh, an older instrument. And it seems like, you know, more traditional, obviously. Sure. And churches, not all churches, of course, but a lot of churches seem to be moving away from traditional music and so uh, there might not be many young people aspiring to play the organ. So just how did you get into it? And just tell a little bit of your story. Sure. So um, I, I was fortunate to kind of grow up in the church. You know, my parents were really, really good about making sure that we were in worship every Sunday. Even if we we're on vacation, we were in church somewhere. Mm -hmm. And um, I just always remember just at a really young age being very enthralled by the music part of church, you know. And um, I started lessons at the age of five, and um, <clears throat> I hope this doesn't come across really arrogant or anything, but I just Dude, you're some, good. You're very good. You've been very good for a long time. Go ahead. I had some natural ability that just kind of came with music. Um, 
that I don't think I really knew about or just kind of had it. You know, I can't really explain it. And um, and so I kind of grew up then that way, just always kind of enamored by music and coming to worship. And at that time, um, we only had a traditional service. So that's kind of what I grew up with. And um, <clears throat> the other thing I guess that my parents were really good about was they were really good about making sure that my brother and I always were doing something productive in the summer. Hmm. And so there was a um, time probably like early high school where um, you and I put on a program called Pipes, Pedals, and Pizza. University of Northern Iowa. <clears throat> University of Northern Iowa. School music, probably the organ department. And uh, they put this on just to kind of introduce people to the organ. And I got to go. And I just... I just kind of, again, kind of just got captured by it. Were you playing piano by then? I was playing piano by then. I started piano when I was five. And um, and so for that summer, as my productive thing to do, I asked if I could take organ lessons. And my parents had agreed to it. And um, I'd walk to church to come for my lessons and walk to church to come practice. And, um, and that summer, it was right before my junior year of high school, I just kind of took to it again, and I can't really explain why. Um, I know some pianists have a lot of trouble kind of transitioning to organ. Um, I know I just kind of took to it, though. And um, I was fortunate to study with um, my predecessor here, um, who then encouraged me that you really ought to think about this for a college major. If you're thinking about music, um, there will be a lot of piano players and a lot of pianists that will... Um, take that that route but there won't be a lot of organist and you'll you'll be pretty marketable hmm. um if you want to pursue this as a career and so that was what i did i went to uni for organ performance awesome i remember so we grew up at the same church yeah. uh this is nazareth uh lutheran church for anyone that doesn't know that it's also the church where homer larson was a senior pastor for 42 years and homer larson for anybody who doesn't know that name was the radio preacher for Christian Crusaders for like 50 plus years. And of course, Christian Crusaders is the ministry that I'm the director of that that is the ministry that oversees or hosts this podcast. And so there are all these ties. We both grew up at Nazareth under Homer. You were mentored by Bill McGuire, our longtime organist. Yeah. I remember you're a few years younger than me, but I remember Nathaniel Parrish was like this he was like the musical virtuoso in our congregation, you know, growing up, just this little young piano phen phenom. Yeah. And then I don't remember that you got a uh, music degree in organ. Didn't you get like a finance or business degree too or I, something? I did to kind of hedge my bets. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. Yeah. And you um, worked in business for a while before you came over yeah, here. I have had kind of a wandering um, career path, I guess you'd call it, Yeah. Um, before kind of landing here. Cool. Well, we'll get more into your story and some of the other things. I want to get to a song right away, sure. just so people aren't waiting for music. Um, and so we are going to start with Box Fugue. Is that the name of it? Yeah, it's a portion. It's a it's a prelude and fugue, but we're just going to play the fugue part of part of the piece. And so um, I kind of submitted a list to you of songs that I would like to include in this podcast. And this wasn't on the list. And you're like, I think we ought to add something by Bach. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we had a lot of pieces that I think. Um, our hymns people well well know, and that that's all fine and good. I think we have some pieces that you will hear at weddings. That's great too. Um, but uh, you know, I just was kind of curious. Would there would we want to include some things that are maybe um, quote unquote a little more off the beaten path? And um, 
it's hard to play organ music without playing Bach. Explain that. I, that must be a musical insider thing. Is it just because Bach's a big time organ guy? Yeah. Yeah. We wrote hundreds of pieces and for the organ, for the organ and for church um, in particular. And so, um, and the writing's just really good. It's hard, but it's good. It's also nicknamed the Flying Feet Fugue. And so I really do kind of like it. It's kind of fun. You're going to hear a lot of different stuff that's going on between the hands and the pedal that make it really pretty busy, but a lot of fun to play. Awesome. So now let's listen to Box Fugue.
So there's the flying feet, flying feet fugue. Try to say that 15 times uh, without getting your tongue twisted up. So you talked a little bit, Nathaniel, about how you got started on the organ. Yeah. And uh, the the role that Bill McGuire played in kind of pointing you in the direction of getting a musical degree in organ performance, or is that yeah. what it is? Yep. So just musically, your mom and dad were faithful to bring you to church and kind of introduce you to some of that stuff, give you the opportunity to learn. Who else influenced you as you kind of went down the road of a, a career in music or a love for music? Sure. Um, I, I think I've always been really fortunate or blessed to, you know, have been exposed to, um, good music and, um, and, and just, uh, encouraged by people who are older than me, um, who have probably been kind of served as a mentor of sorts. And so, um, and I think just kind of cultivated a lot of different experiences for me. Um, that have just kind of made me a pretty well-rounded musician um, uh, in my present life. And so um, I can't really talk about Bill without also talking about Enrique Ochoa here at Nazareth, who, you know, again, in high school, um, took me under his wing to just bring me on board with some music that we were doing for youth group type stuff. And um, with totally different style, um, piano, guitar, um, no notes, just court sheets, you know, and make up your own part. And, you know, having 12-ish years of reading music and then just having a chord chart and trying to figure out what do I do with this, like, it's a little disconcerting. And was so, that a tough transition for you? <clears throat> it was a bit. And um, so um, I say say all that was just to say that I appreciate you giving me the opportunities to do those things. Um uh, we actually were kind of on the cusp of starting a contemporary service here at the church. And um, we brought in another person that I look up to a lot. And I think one of your good friends, Zach Nielsen, mm -hmm. um, who's uh, I always knew as a really gifted classical pianist, mm -hmm. um, but was kind of at another church leading their contemporary service who came over to help us kind of just show us some of the ropes for how do we actually do this mm -hmm. when it comes to music. And... Um, Again, you know, just kind of having an innate sense of how to do it, it just was a lot of trial and error on on our parts, on my part, to learn how to play with a group, to learn how to play with a chord sheet. Zach was, let me tell you a story about Zach quick. Yeah. Uh, he was Mr. Chord Sheets, and so we lived together in college. And Zach's always kind of a little stressed out. If anyone knows Zach, he's, you know, a little high strung, and he's probably gotten better at that over the years. But but we would try to go do something on the weekend or hang out. And Zach was all, no, I got I to gotta organize my court sheets. I got to yeah. organize court sheets. <laughs> so I'm sure he had some advice for you by way of that transition from classical note reading yeah. to playing court sheets. Yeah. And that's in the day when they were all done by hand. Right. You know. So he was legit in, yeah. in his work. <laughs> he was legit in his work. But I also like the way he thought about things, you know, in terms of worship and um, and, you know, he was doing some things, I think, creatively with jazz, too, and bringing some of those jazz influences into the church, which doesn't always happen a whole lot. Um, you know, so I just always thought of him as really kind of a, a person that was doing some really creative work, you know, um, in church music. And so, you know, to have those opportunities between Q and Zach to do some things and um, get kind of plugged in with the contemporary stuff, mostly with Q here, um, was really um made an impression on me, you know. Um, and then, you know, eventually I moved out east. And um, I think where this is maybe important to our conversation is I, I took my first job. It was kind of an internship in Connecticut. And um, 
my boss there, his name was Tim, um, you know, he was really adept at, I think, kind of creating what we call blended worship. And um, I, I think you know, so many times we think of things as either or, it's one or the other, traditional or contemporary. I thought Tim did a really nice job of kind of weaving some of those elements together. It's the first time I'd really seen that um, ever um, to think, golly, how can I play the organ with a with a band or anything, you know, but I know it's greatly informed my work that I'm doing today. Awesome. So there, there are a couple different uh, directions I want to go with this conversation and we better get to another song. So, but just to make record of it. So we make sure we go there. First of all, um, I, I want to have a conversation about contemporary and traditional. Um, but before that, um, you know, how do you, how do you both, you know, as you're thinking, I was thinking about this when you're talking about Zach and you and like you said, Zach thought about where you, you like some ways that he thought about worship and, and, and you're planning this thing out. And so it seems to me if, if you're in a musical leadership worship position in a church, you could fall in a couple ditches. And, and one ditch might be the ditch of we're just going to focus on the music being really good. And the other ditch is we don't care about the music, but we just want the worship experience. You know, we, we want to be focused on, you know, stuff that's doctrinally sound and this kind of stuff. Um, how do you kind of manage both of those? Or how do you, you know, like when you said you liked what Zach, some of the ways he thought about worship, are you talking about just musically or musically and theologically or what? Well, I think um, I think my my first draw to Zach was musically. Mm-hmm. You know, I was pretty young and probably didn't totally appreciate all of his the ways he thought about theology and stuff. Yeah, it wasn't until I was kind of in later in life that I kind of started to follow Zach's blog mm-hmm. and and started to just pick up on ways that he was approaching worship or. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think Zach would work hand in hand with the, the authors that he would cite or the references or the mm-hmm. material he would cite. You know, so. I think um, from there, I, I kind of later picked up on the way that, that Zach and others would, yeah. would would approach worship. Great. We'll talk more about just kind of the, the spiritual side of it sure. alongside the, the musical side. But let's get to this next song before uh, people who are just wanting to hear music fall off. <laughs> uh, we're going to do Shall We Gather at the River. This is another one that you submitted. Talk about yeah. uh, why you thought this would be a good one for the podcast. Um, I, I made this suggestion um, for a few reasons. Um, number one is it's written by a composer um, that's still living, and he actually plays out at the Mormon Tab- Tabernacle um, Church in Salt Lake City. And not that I'm going that way with the Mormons, but yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I can appreciate the music that's useful to me for sure. Um, I like this piece because we have we'll have a lot of music that's pretty um, pretty strong and powerful. This is one that I think. Um, I think you kind of you, you'll hear a lot of it, uh, a lot of different colors of the organ, and um, and it's going to grow. And so, um, kind of the romantic part of my mind thinks of it this way: is that like um, I like to use this on All Saints Sunday, and I'd struggled to find music that I can use for some of these we call them lesser festivals, but these this day where we kind of acknowledge those who have passed away and those who have been baptized. But um, but a lot of times I think there's a sense of mourning naturally that comes with people who when we remember those who have passed away. And 
where I say like the romantic part of me thinks like there is a somberness that comes with that. But you can also, as Christians, when we think about we're all going to die, but we can grieve and we can grieve with hope for what is to come. Mm -hmm. And that this peace just kind of swells and grows um, into, I think, just the the promise of eternal life Mm. that you kind of feel through the music um, through that. And so that's why I really do like this piece. It took me a while to land on it because I kind of struggled. What do I play for All Saints Sunday? I don't Mm -hmm. don't know. But but I've landed on this one and I really, really like it. Uh, So one of the things as we get into some of these hymns, and there's going to be more later, I would encourage our listeners, I mean, pull out a hymnal if you've got one or look up these lyrics online and just kind of sit down and, and, in your head, or if you want to sing them along, I think you'd be blessed by that. As I was listening to you play, I had a hymnal in my lap mm-hmm. and just kind of following along with the lyrics, didn't want to sing and screw up the recording. <laughs> uh, but I think people would be blessed by that. So here is Shall We Gather at the River.
big discussion, traditional versus contemporary worship. And I was a college ministry director at this church in the early 2000s and was uh, a custodian here when I was in college before that. And that was kind of the time when, if you want to call them, the worship wars were a big thing, not just in this church, but everywhere. I mean, uh, the, the church at large, local churches all over the country, maybe around the world, were trying to figure out, okay, how do we update our stuff? Now, what's going to be interesting for people, because I think that I'm kind of viewed as I was part of our contemporary service back then, and uh, I'm kind of maybe viewed as somebody who was trying to push the envelope toward contemporary and to a degree, I was um, because we're trying to reach people who weren't coming. And we thought that that might play a role and help them make that happen. But in, in no way uh, have I moved away from my love for traditional music. I hope that's evident by the fact that we're hosting a podcast with organ music. In fact, when I listen to some of this stuff, it's, just, it's majestic. It's like I told somebody the other day we were going to do this. I said, it's like you listen to some of this music and, and it's like you're opening the throne room of heaven. I mean, when I think about what's me, there'll be music in heaven, no question. And I don't know that it'll be organ music, but I think that the organ just captures uh, the fullness or the, the majesty or what's another word that you would use? The grandeur. Yeah, the grandeur yeah. Uh, uh, that in a way that uh, a worship band, I don't think, is, is able to. Now, it's just my personal opinion. And so I could be wrong and I don't know. And we'll find out someday. Um, and, and so anyway, I, I thought, man, this is tremendous music. Beyond that, I love uh, so many of the hymns. And I was, as I said, I was listening or as I was listening to you play, I had a hymnal open in my lap. And some of these lyrics, and I'm going to read some of them when we get to some of these songs, are just so rich. These are three-minute songs or three-minute and 30-second songs. And you're plowing through four or five verses. And not only is the is are the lyrics poetic, but they're just theologically substantive. Sure. There's not a lot of wasted words in this music. And I, I, it's so, for me, just uh, uplifting and uh, edifying. And, and so anyway, I love, I love uh, traditional music. I love some contemporary music. Um, there are great examples of really good music. And I'm not talking musically. I'm talking kind of theo theologically and doctrinally. And both the contemporary and the traditional side, there's some examples of some bad stuff on both sides, as you would expect. My view is, and this is, I, I would like my kids to have an appreciation of a wide range of worship music, of church music. I want them to know some of the solid substantive hymns. I want them to be cool with an organ. I was talking to a guy the other day uh, who's like, oh, you're doing an organ podcast? I'd never listen to that. Like, seriously? Just because it's an organ? Like, what's the problem here? I, I don't get that. And I think that's, I think that's kind of messed up. Likewise, there are people who are traditional only and would never, you know, say, oh, I'd never listen to those seven, 11 songs, you know, seven words, 11 times you sing them over and over and over. And I agree. Some of that stuff is kind of fluffy and light. Um, um, I, I just, uh, a few days ago, this is a funny story. We're in the middle of coronavirus. I had 101 degree fever like six days ago. 
And of course, everyone's like, do you have the coronavirus? <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm fine. Everything's great. But I was joking with my buddies. I've got a text thread with some buddies. And I was telling them, hey, um, I, the, the Rona might get me. And so we have to plan my funeral quick. And so I was going through all these funeral plans with them. We were joking around mostly. And I said, hey, there will be no worship bands at my funeral, okay? We're going to only play the piano and hymns. And if there's a couple good praise choruses or something that are at least theologically substantive, um, we can do that. But anyway, so so my bias is is a little musically more on the traditional side than contemporary. The reason I've moved away from traditional worship is twofold. One, it's typically earlier. I don't want to get up that early and, and get the kids ready and all that. And number two, I'm just not at a place where... I believe that sometimes in traditional worship, there's this there's this idea that there have to be all these certain components. You have to say the Lord's Prayer. You have to say the Apostles' Creed. You have to have absolution and confession. And I'm just like, no, I don't think so. If if it were up to me, um, if it were up to me, we'd play a couple good hymns. We'd have a 45 minute sermon that just hits you right in the face like a two by four, and then we'd walk out. <laughs> but not everyone likes church the way I do, so I accept that. Sure. What are your thoughts about any of that? Um, yeah, there's a lot of things you could say, I guess, about it. Um, I'm, I, I think the traditional versus contemporary thing is not a new issue by any means. And, um, I think that, uh, it's, it's probably one that's been around for hundreds of years, as a matter of fact, you know, and so, um, I, I'm pretty unfazed by that conversation to be perfectly honest. Um, I think God has a heart for all people. Yeah. And um, God, I'm not in a position to assume or put God in a box in terms of what he can and cannot use in terms of music. Yep. Um, I think if we are united or divided based on music alone, then that's a problem. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully that there's something deeper, the gospel that unites us. You yeah. know? And so I don't get too wrapped up in that conversation. Um, personally speaking, I like to live in kind of to really blur the lines between the two. I think there's some really productive areas to bridge, to blur the lines yeah. um, between both traditional and, and contemporary worship. And I try to really, I guess I look at, at kind of both banks of, of music as what, what are the, what are the positives? What, are, what can I take away from them? Mm -hmm. And um, I think when you look at traditional music, there's certainly like um, a bona fide established repertoire canon of music you know it stood the test of time and it stood the test of time because it's good yeah right and and there's something that um i think kind of gives us confidence about continuing to use it because it still speaks to us mm -hmm. and um and and yet with the contemporary music um you know i think um where i think that if if i'm still playing the same same songs after 20 years or I'm playing the same chord progressions after 20 years, I'm going to get bored and, and feel deluded in what I'm doing, you know, and if I'm feeling that way, our congregation's probably feeling that way. And so I think there has to be room for kind of creating something that's new and fresh and um, finding out what is the music that's being done today. What, what music from, um, from today will stand the test of time too. We have to create opportunities for that. Yeah. Now, I think the hard part is, is that there's just so much music out there. And, um, you know, and I think the average song, like pop song, sometimes they have to say like has a shelf life of five to seven years. And wow. it's done. Wow. You know, and so, you know, it does feel a little bit experimental to figure out, like, how do you know what's going to 
going to stick or, or not. Um, but Sadong Song, I think it was written in the 80s, is a good example of this. And not really advocating this song necessarily, but Lord, I Lift Your Name on High. Mm-hmm. You know, we did that song. We, we did it a ton, you mm-hmm. know, at one point in time. Um, haven't done it for a long time, but it now showed up in our hymnals as something that's at least worthwhile to maybe kind of keep keep around in some way, shape, or form. Shout to the Lord. We just did that one in church not that long ago. I actually have a file on my computer called Iffy, meaning I'm not really sure that I want to commit to this song as part of our regular rotation, but I'm not really totally willing to put it away either. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think you have to find ways to kind of create spaces for new things to come on board too. And, and that's important. Um, what would be your, you know, I described kind of my own personal opinion. I think, I think people should have a wide appreciation, appreciation for a wide range of worship music. I mean, if it's biblical and if it's gospel focused, then I don't care if it's with an organ or a rock band. And I don't care if it's uh, seven words, 11 times, or six stanzas with a bunch of words I never say otherwise. What would be your advice or your counsel to somebody who's maybe stuck in one camp or the other and just like, no, like, like the person who said, I'd never listen to yeah. organ music. Um, I'm going to steal from a couple of people who have influenced me again. Um, so, um, a good friend of mine, Nancy Grahan, um, has, has kind of encouraged, um, all of us here at the church to think of, um, you know, whatever the music style is, let's just say for the sake of the argument, organ music. And I'm going to stereotype, 110% stereotyping. Um, Grandpa and grandma are resonating with the organ music. And you might have a youngster, again, stereotyping, say, why? What, what's the point? This is antiquated. I don't get it. Um, and you could flip that argument around where you could have, again, stereotyping, um, older people say, you know, I just don't understand these kids that are at these like massive events and everybody's bouncing around and Mm -hmm. this, that, and the other. Um, and I think that what Nancy has said that just speaks to me is that, um, can I look at something that maybe I, I don't personally resonate, but I see how it's resonating with somebody else. And can I celebrate that? So, Youngster, can I look at my grandparents that are just enjoying a certain form of music mm-hmm. done a certain way mm-hmm. and appreciate what it is that that means to them and vice versa mm-hmm. when, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm getting too old to do the bouncing up and down sort of thing, you know, with, <laughs> with like large youth gatherings and that deal. But uh, I mean, I've been too old for that. But um, but I can appreciate I can appreciate and so I that 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 speaks to them and so I approach that not so much in in terms of resenting yeah or devaluing a certain music form form of worship or yep. a certain way of doing it um, but rather celebrate what that means to somebody else yeah and um, and Nancy's kind of impressed that upon upon us and so all that is to say it's really not about me yeah. You know, um, and I think uh, another person that's kind of influenced me, but kind of in a nutshell, to look at worship as we praise God for who he is and what he's done for us. Mm. And when I look at it that way, and if somebody is grabbing a hold of that, that's something that I can support. Who is that? Uh, Ben Bartlett. That's what I thought. Yeah. Another guy that I just feel like I kind of looked up to a lot, you know, in terms of 
Ben was killed in a car accident a few years ago. Talk a little bit about the role that he played in kind of helping shape and mentor you. Yeah, well, I knew Ben just kind of through that little phrase a lot, but then kind of watching him work from afar, I never really knew him closely. Let's repeat the phrase. We worship God because of who he is and what he's done. Yes. That's the first thing. When I heard he died, he's a classmate of mine. Yeah. And we weren't really close friends, but we were cordial and got along well. We just ran in different circles. And I thought, you know, the guy who sat on stage behind the piano or behind the keyboard so many times and, and told us that we worship because of who he is and what he's done. If he were here right now, uh, evaluating his own tragic death and the death of two of his kids, he would still call us to worship God for who he is and what he's done. Yeah. It's powerful. Go ahead. I, I just would again, look up to Ben as, um, another pianist, another pianist that was, that was leading worship though. You know, there weren't like really good examples other than maybe Zach that were really doing that, you know, from the piano. And I just feel like um, Ben and I maybe kind of mimicked each other in terms of our personalities and disposition, you know? Um, and I, I just always appreciated the work, the work that he would do. Cool. Cool. Uh, one of the things that is kind of a pet peeve of mine is the word contemporary itself. I mean, because contemporary, like when we were talking about contemporary music back in 1996 or whatever, I'm not sure that music is contemporary anymore. Contemporary means like pretty much like right now, current, right? Yeah. So, I mean, even our terminology is kind of wacko. Yeah, we got any thoughts about that? Better language to use, I don't think. Yeah. Good. So, we're going to take a really hard turn right now. And you mentioned Nancy Grand. Nancy typically plays this song with you as a duet on the 4th of July around here. Uh, This is a crowd favorite, Stars and Stripes Forever. We had to work this in sometime. And so uh, now is the time. And so do you want to say anything about this? Yeah, no, this is just, it's a fun piece. It's one that, again, kind of going back, Bill and I would do this together. And um, uh, it's it's fun. You know, um, it's a piece that uh, you'll have to forgive the wrong notes because we're trying to marry two parts together. I'm trying to cover all of it as much as I can. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a probably the closest thing you might hear to kind of like a theater organ or just some really just interesting different sounds of the organ. Um, and it's a really well-known tune that people like to listen to. Awesome. Thank you. 
can hear the uh, crowd standing and clapping after one, that one. Uh, there's always people sticking around to listen to that. You play that the 4th of July weekend. Yeah. The 5th is a Sunday this year. And it might be a Sunday that we actually have live worship. Who knows how that plays out? So you better get this one ready. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about it. I, uh, I, haven't, I haven't asked Nancy yet. And... Um, I, I don't I don't know what we're doing for that Sunday yet. Yeah, good. Uh, I want to dive back into something we were talking about before that about uh, just the worship music, and one of the things that has affected me during this kind of coronavirus shutdown. I don't know what you think about this. I told this to a pastor, and he actually agreed with me. A music guy might not. I, I thought this year. Not being able to gather for Easter, I mean, nationwide, maybe even in other parts of the world, people not gathering in church for Easter, I think is was awesome. And the reason I think it was awesome is because I think that we have had a tendency to, with Easter, which is, I mean, is there a more celebratory day in the Christian life? I don't think there is. Yet, I think that we have tended to worship the trappings surrounding Easter, including the worship service, the music, the flowers, the getting dressed up, the blah, blah, blah. And this year, it's like the Lord said, nope, you guys aren't meeting together. You're not going to have any of that stuff that in some cases you've been distracted by. In some cases, maybe you've even even idolized. You're not having any of that. So you're going to sit home and you're going to think about the thing that Easter is all about, the resurrection. Um so that's opened up my mind to consider how many other things I'm tempted to or that I actually do idolize that because of this coronavirus shutdown have been just kind of ripped away. I can't, or I can now, or I'm doing it more and more, but for a while there, I couldn't just go do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted. Uh, we canceled two or three trips that we were really excited to go do. My friend, my, my kids couldn't hang out with their friends the way they wanted to. And so uh, financially, you know, things are kind of questionable for some people. And so we have all, and we've talked about this on our CC uh, daily, daily dose devotions, as we've been going through our Bible overview and we had some coronavirus uh, devotions, by the way, people should check that out at the CC podcast, daily dose devotions. And we'll put a link for that in this, but, but people like worshiping the music rather than God who the music is trying to point us to. Mm-hmm. That's totally possible, right? And and how do you, as a worship leader, kind of combat that for yourself? And how do you try to set things up so that people are as least likely as possible to fall into that in the church? Yeah, that that's a hard question. Um, well, first of all, do you see it? Yeah, I see it. And, and actually, I... Um, I, I did listen to the podcast that you were talking about with Christian Crusaders, where um, this this issue kind of came to bear, and um, I, I think there was certainly like when I when I was when this whole thing kind of hit in mid March or so, and um, you know, and at one point it was like, well, it might be May May first, and that felt like an eternity away. And now we're here; we're almost to the end of May, and yeah. um, you know, and it felt well. What about Easter? Yeah, and like. There was a certain level of, of mourning that came with that, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I, I struggle with that. Most honest, I struggle with it a little bit with um, um, I, I, I enjoy the, the pomp and circumstance of Easter, too, as much as anybody else. Yeah. Um, 
um, I feel like my my faith. I understand why why we give it its due, mm-hmm. um, uh, um, and so um, that it matters to me that way. But I also I, I worry about that sometimes with people um, and myself included that I can kind of default back to what what are the things that I just like because I like them. Yeah, and um, and I know what it means to kind of set those things up on a on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Um, I I uh, I don't know how much I um, I don't know how much I like really have real strong feelings around preferences related to music. Um, I certainly do have some preferences I know, but I also feel in my role I kind of do a lot of different things, and so I I don't know that I really have an opportunity to really trot out like this is what I want to do and I want to do it all the time sort of thing. I do have to be kind of um, flexible with stuff and. And try to find the inherent value in in a lot of different things. Um, I don't know if I'm totally answering your question. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, um, I, I think we I think we just constantly need to kind of um, you know hold worship out for for you know telling Christ's story again for who He is, what He's done, what He is doing, what He will do for us yeah. in us and through us. You yeah. know. And that that's that that has to be the focus of why we why we gather to sing together. That's good stuff. Um, we're going to go ahead and, and turn the corner into what I've I've got a thing on my sheet here called the Easter Run, and yeah. so we're going to play three songs kind of uninterrupted, and they are songs that have been familiar around here, and so obviously you're familiar with them. I'm familiar yeah. with them. We're going to start with Jesus Christ is risen today. Yeah. And then we're going to go to crown him with many crowns. And then we're going to finish up with now all the vault of heaven resounds, which you kind of play as a postlude instead of the entire hymn. Yeah. Easter around here growing up, as I was listening to you just play these when we were recording them over in the sanctuary there, I just had images in my mind of the church packed to the gills all the way down to the corners, you know, beautiful stage. Um, the image I had was me standing with my family as a as a kid before I was out of the house and before I was married, and my mom and dad and my brother and sister and then a bunch of our friends and people who we love, you know, just celebrating the resurrection together and dressed up nice. All these things that I said we have a temptation to idolize sometimes, or we have a temptation to think that's what Easter is about. I have so many good memories of that. And, and I can remember seeing Homer Larson just standing up there with his robe on and kind of holding out the big, remember they had the extra large uh, program for Easter's oh, sure. and it was different than the normal bulletin yeah. and just kind of standing there and belting out the music. And I think we did three or four services on Sunday mornings back then that were just packed and it was festive and you could have donuts in between services and run around with your friends. Such great memories about that. But, but just the, the words and the the music does something to really begin to approach the kind of response we should have to a resurrected Christ. Right. I mean, it's just, I mean, it doesn't, it's not like that's what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be way better than that. But for some reason, Easter Sunday, me growing up is just imprinted in my mind as being uh, just a very moving musically robust, great preaching, uh, glorious day. And uh, so we're going to get a glimpse of that here. You got anything to say about this stuff? Um, no. Uh, yeah, I guess I do. Um, I uh, We do three songs, three three tunes. Um, 
Jesus Christ is risen today, and this is a kind of an arrangement. We kind of adapted this a little bit. Would we really kind of need our choir to to really do it well? Um, but we um, and and brass, but um, uh, but this arrangement does work pretty well for Jesus Christ is risen today. So it does have kind of a festive inter- introduction, um, a little bit of an interlude, and then a um, a coda or an ending that um, kind of brings the whole thing to a close. Um, Crown Him with Many Crowns, I think we just left that one pretty well alone as just kind of a standalone hymn. And then um, Now All the Vault of Heaven Resounds is another one we've adapted. It usually would be done with brass and organ. Um, but uh, it's one that um, that I really like playing, and I always use it as a postlude. And usually we'll sing the hymn the, the very next Sunday um, as kind of a post-Easter hymn. You guys got to get your hymn books out for this. Uh, this is the third verse of Crown Him with Many Crowns. Crown Him the Lord of Life, who triumphed o'er the grave, who rose victorious to the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives that death may die. I just don't, no offense, I just don't know many many contemporary praise songs that can accomplish what that does. It's beautiful. Let's take a listen.
right. So there you go. If you missed Easter this year, hopefully that gives you a little taste of what Easter was like. Nathaniel, you were just telling me a story about uh, an Easter where things went awry. This is an amazing story. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're thinking about like kind of this coronavirus kind of being the big stop button that makes us kind of just pause for a second, reevaluate and recalibrate things. Yeah. Um, we uh, This was Easter and it was maybe a couple years ago. And um, I remember we were on our second to last service and we had done kind of a gentler, um, more reflective piece for with some singers and uh, guitar, piano sort of sort of vibe. And um, for the offering, we were about done. And I literally, I think I had, I had one one note to hit at the very end. And and I kid you not, as I'm hitting that last note, there was just a pop, and everything just goes down. And where it was like the organ or everything, everything lights. Um, the screens, uh, electricity, electricity, just done whole building. <laughs> and, uh, where it was spooky for me, it's just that I was sitting in the piano bench and I hit that note and that pop happened simultaneously. I thought, what did I do? <laughs> um, and, uh, and kind of trotted up to the organ real quick and, and there's, there's no power, you know, unfortunately we were at, we were at the end of our second, our, our second to last service. And so, um, you know, we uh, we just pretty much called it good that we're done. People dismissed, <laughs> and uh, and um, and then we had one more service to do, and it was our contemporary service. And um, and I, I felt kind of bad. I know I you know I had a colleague that that I was working with at that time that was um, leading a lot of that service, and um, he had put just oodles and oodles of time. Oh man! Into into putting an Easter service together. And, um, and, and now you're kind of wondering, is, is this going to come back on? What's going on? You know, well, we're not getting power. We're not getting power. And so in that little brief window of time between services, they totally threw everything out, started all over and they led a, a, an totally acoustic worship service. Um, our pastor preached as, as loudly and as boldly as he could without an, any amplification, wow. you know, but, um, I think, uh, uh, you know, we kind of look back on that as one of the most kind of spirit-filled services that we had. Yeah. You know, we were out of necessity. We're forced to kind of deal with something we didn't really expect. Yeah. Kind of like this coronavirus deal. Yeah. And um, and I think that there was kind of a real claiming of what Easter was all about. Right. Like, it's not about the plans that we laid. It's not about the music that we set up or the or what we pictured this service to be like. It. You, that all gets stripped away. This has to just be about the resurrection of Jesus. Right. right. That's awesome. That's good stuff. Um, I was wanting to get your kind of approach or your take on, like you said, there's gazillion songs, traditional, contemporary. Um, and I've always, like I mentioned before, there are some contemporary songs that are just from a theological or a doctrinal perspective, biblical perspective, just garbage. And there's traditional songs. Well, some of them have been weeded out because of the test of time has a way of weeding this stuff out. But there's some, some of those that are kind of like doctrinally and substantively not a lot there. Uh, for you, in your mind, what kind of criteria do you employ to determine if a song is going to make the cut? Yeah. Well, I think words matter. And they matter a lot. Yeah. Um, that's one thing that's unique about singing and, and music, you know, as opposed to 
playing piano and music um, is that we're actually giving words to, um, to, to what we believe. And I think that, um, you know, what we sing can sometimes really go a long way uh, in terms of what it means to, to learn about our faith, to embrace our faith, to know what it means to become a Christ follower. Mm-hmm. And so all that language that we're putting into people's um, minds, into their hearts, into their imaginations, into their lives, into their memories, um, I think it really, really matters. And, um, you know, despite the facade that we sometimes have for coming to church, you know, a lot of us, if we were to peel back the layers, we're all kind of wrestling with something. And, um, you know, we're wrestling with, with, with our relationship with God, with our relationship with other people. And so if we can bring some of these um, lyrics to bear, I think that that is something that um, can serve as an anchor and sustain people through really difficult times. Because life is just hard. It can be icky kind of sometimes. And so um, things that I, uh, I really look for is I, I want songs that say something. You know, I want them to be biblically sound. Mm-hmm. Um, I want it to be true of who Christ is, mm-hmm. you know, Amen. Um, what he's doing um, in the world around us, what he has done, um, what he will do. I think there needs to be kind of a message of freedom that's found in the gospel. Um, I love it when songs draw upon scripture. Can't go wrong there. Right. I think about, you know, how you quoted a little bit of um, crown him with many crowns. You know, if you look at any of our hymns and kind of the message that's woven through those verses, you know, you kind of get a big chunk of theological ideas, you know, rather than just a, a fragment of something. And so I think pieces that kind of tell a story, yeah, um, th- those are really useful yeah. um, in terms of helping us learn our faith and, yep. and, and grow and embrace it. Um, I, I, I love pieces that, um, now, and certainly not every song has to do this per se, but I... I appreciate music that sometimes talks about the reality of the devil, of hell. Yeah, amen. Um, I love that. Just because, you know, those are things that are, are real. And um, and I don't think we do our ourselves or our congregation. A, I think we do ourselves or our congregation a disservice if we just... Act like that's not there. Yeah, act like it's not there. Um, I think uh, music that talks about... Um, kind of sharing the good news um, that this is not just meant to be only for me, but it's supposed to be for other people and supposed to be shared with others. I think that that's uh, that makes for a strong, a strong piece. I think we have, if we can have music that speaks to all of the human experience, not just the, the mountaintop moments, but the fact that life again can be hard. Yeah. Amen. And, um, and uh, you know, if you read the Psalms and some of those that, that runs the gamut in terms of human experience. And I think that if we can reflect that in our selections, I think that um, that's in speak to people. Totally. I'm putting you on the spot here. Um, are there any, this, we're not doing anything with, with contemporary music in, in this podcast, but what would be a couple of your favorite, more contemporary songs, which obviously I assume would meet those criteria. Yeah. And, and that you think... I can't think of them off the top of my head, but I know there are, are three or five contemporary songs that I think do a great job of just doctrinally describing who we are uh, compared to God. He is great and we are not, and we're sinful and we're wretched and stained. And then and then it kind of weaves the, the redemptive plan of God through Christ and just very powerfully. It seems like we maybe sing a couple of them during our Good Friday service uh, once in a while. Sure. But what are what are a couple of your favorite 
Oh, I don't I don't know if they're my favorites favorites, but um you know, one that comes to mind, um, it's not so new or not so old new anymore. It's it's old the ten thousand reasons bless the Lord. Yeah. Um that's taken straight out of Psalm hundred something, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, you know. Um and so uh I think that's one that maybe kind of is is pretty pretty strong. Um there's another one called King of Kings that we've done more recently here at, at Nazareth. Um that I just really love. It tells the whole narrative of Christ cool. coming, and um, and I, I think um, you know that it's important for us to just recognize, you know, the entire story of of of, of God's redemptive work in the world. Yeah, um, world was created. There's the fall. We're broken. Yep. Um, Christ was prophesied. Mm-hmm. He came. He was born. Lived died and was raised and and that has real implications for our life today and in the life to come yeah and um i think if we can tell that whole story that Amen. matters that's great stuff you mentioned um we're going to do a little uh segment here of of three hymns that um were significant for homer larson we're doing that for a couple of reasons one is because christian crusaders is the ministry that uh the cc podcast falls under and so we're kind of giving a hat tip to our 50-year radio preacher who's not with us anymore. But also it's biographical for me in a sense because I grew up with this stuff and I remember it meaning something to him and I meant something to me as well. These are great hymns. One of the songs is going to be We Have a Story to Tell to the Nations. Homer loved that song. And to your point, um, I circled some words in here. I'm not going to read all the lyrics, but there's a couple uh, mentions of the word truth. Truth isn't a, a word that is absent in newer music, but the idea that there's truth is certainly not popular today, that there are absolutes, that there are non-negotiables, that, that for instance, God's word is completely reliable, or for instance, there are certain things that are true and certain things that aren't true. Not many people today want to, you know, wave their flag for that and put their, their stake in the ground on that. So, and we have a story to tell to the nations that refers to truth a couple times, but I also, I also circle, circled the word evil, a song that shall conquer evil. Obviously, it's a song about the good news of Christ shall conquer evil. And I just love that the word evil is in a song. I mean, let's not try to act like evil's not real. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like you can't say the word evil because, it's just going to make you look really radical or something like this. Like, come on, man. I mean, this is a biblical concept. So I love when you said, um, you know, you, you like to see songs that refer to some of those things that maybe we don't want to talk a lot about, but we need to because they're part of the mix. Uh, a couple other songs we're going to hear here is uh, When Morning Gilds the Skies. And uh, I've, I'm going to read a couple verses from this one and then from the next one. Then we'll go ahead and listen This is also called May Jesus Christ Be Praised. And this is just a great lyric and a great simple verse that I think just lays out the, I like your word, grandeur, or the greatness of God. He's so beyond maybe the little pocket-sized God that we sometimes are guilty of trying to, this manageable little God who I can wrap my head around and who I pull out of a genie on a bottle when I'm having a bad day. This is the fifth verse in this hymnal. Sing suns and stars of space. Sing ye that see his face. May Jesus Christ be praised. God's whole creation o'er, for I and evermore. 
That's A-Y-E-I, for I. You don't see that word a lot. For I and evermore, may Jesus Christ be praised. And it's just like, man, this isn't just this. I mean, God and Jesus aren't this little thing that just came to earth. And we have these cute little stories about him. Like he created the universe. And the sun's... I love that it says, sing suns and stars of space. In other words, suns. Like, there isn't just the sun, the one that we know about. There are suns, and there are stars of space, and they should all, um, I mean, Scripture says, if, if we don't praise Him, the rocks will cry out. I mean, creation worships God. Creation worships Jesus. And I, and I just love the poetic way that it says that. I don't know if you got a comment about that or not. Or you... No, Um I, I mean, it just it just stirs your imagination, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's just such eloquent language. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then the church is one foundation. Here's the second verse. Elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth, her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every grace endued. Obviously, the church is one foundation. It's interesting. It's, it's not referring to the little C church. We're talking about the big C church, the body of Christ. And if you're going to sing this song, the church is one foundation, it implies that you're part of the big C church. And to be part of the big C church means that you have faith in Jesus Christ. So the truth is, we've talked about this on other podcasts before, that you should go listen to the the, the Phil Hopper podcast, by the way, if you want some clarity on this. Uh, the fact is there are people who sit in churches, little C churches on Sunday, who are not part of the big C church. And uh, so this isn't the church's one foundation. This isn't Nazareth's one foundation. This is the body of Christ one foundation. And elect from every nation. There will be people in heaven who trusted Christ from every tribe, tongue, and nation so it's going to be very diverse, all kinds of skin colors, all kinds of ethnicities, all kinds of languages having been spoken on earth. But the ones from each of those nations that trust Christ will be one in heaven and we are one or all the earth. That's a great lyric, too. So let's go ahead and listen to uh, these three hymns that we picked off Homer's favorite hymn CD and hope you enjoy them.
right, we've got one more run that's going to be here in a second. But before we get to that, uh, Nathaniel, I was thinking if you could back up time or think about Nathaniel Parrish 15 years ago, you're just kind of getting into this maybe 15, 20 years ago, whatever it was, when you're just out of high school and kind of opening up to the world of worship, um, understanding that there are people who are at that stage now. They might not be that age, but maybe they're just kind of moving into worship space. I see a lot of worship. There's so much pressure, it seems like, with you know video and technology and streaming now with coronavirus and you got to do all this stuff right and you got to look right and be cool and have the right technology and amazing sound and blah 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 um how do you counsel a young person or maybe not a young person who's trying to navigate all that stuff the right way and what would you and maybe these aren't the same things but what kind of things would you go back and tell yourself or warn somebody about in terms of the pitfalls or the the minefield that needs to be navigated as you kind of set out on this journey and get it more right than wrong. Sure. Yeah, I I think the like after high school college version of myself. Um, I I mean I was in it for myself, most honest and. Um, I, I mean, I wanted, if it was traditional, I wanted to play the most flashy organ pieces I could. I'd want to embellish the hymns in the coolest, creative, most creative way that I have ever could, you know. And yeah. and in some ways in doing that, um, probably detract from the message of the, the text. You yeah. know, I, the text doesn't need me to embellish right. the, the, the words. If I, if I was doing contemporary music, I'd want to be part of a, a cool band and I'd want to come up with a cool chord progression or something, you know, that yeah. was just, you know, um, but, but totally in it for the wrong reasons, you know, um, where I said earlier, you know, it's not about me. There's probably a time in my life where it was about me, very much about me. Yeah. You know, I think and, we can all, I can identify with that. Yeah. Um, I think as I've gotten older, I just have probably shifted my, my focus a little bit and it's been through the counsel and wisdom of others, you know, and just maturing and, um, and you know, finding really, I think that what our what our aspiration ought to be through singing in church together is that we're really trying to just deepen our faith. Mm-hmm. You know, um, com- grow and create committed followers of Christ. You know, mm-hmm. and I think music is one piece of that. Um, and so, um, I guess uh, you know, I, I want to probably pursue things that I hope for myself and for others um, now, today, um, or things that just kind of foster uh, um, just just sincere praise of God, you know, that um, cultivate just like a loyal obedience, a loyal following of Him, um, faith, you know, that just kind of strengthens and encourages your faith, um, that that's what matters to me more now. And um, just as I think about what it means to um, know how I play a part in God's redemptive story of the yeah. world and of, of me, yeah, you know, that matters to me. Awesome. Um, I think about, um, again, wanting to have those promises that you find in, in music and in scripture, you know, you know, just kind of kind of just entrenched in you a little bit it's kind of morbid to think about but we're all going to die mm-hmm. you know and i think about again kind of the if if you could go your way i suppose if you could lay on your deathbed and you could have those you could recall that language that comes to mind mm-hmm. you know as you're facing your final hours that matters to me 
Yeah. You know, and I think about with kids, you know, like, you know, kids are just inundated with so many messages, you know, and if you can take some of the truths that you find in this music mm-hmm. and, and have that, that speak to them and something that they're grabbing hold of when they're young, yeah, you know, that can be something that they can carry with them for their entire lives. And so um, if I were to go back to my younger, younger days, I would just try to say, you know, it's not really about you. Yeah. There's a bigger story here and um, you'll figure out how you fit into, to what God's doing here and how he wants to work in your life Mm -hmm. and um, what the real implications for faith are. Yeah. As I was listening to you play this morning, I mean, it's, it's worship kind of just boils up, you know, you're reading these lyrics, you're listening to this music. I said, it sounds like how I imagine the throne room of God somewhat sounding like, um, are you able to worship while you're doing this stuff or is it, do you have, do you have moments of worship or is it all just kind of the logistical getting the music cranked out? And what's that like? How do you manage that? Yeah, it's, it's tricky. Um, it's tricky. Um, there's certainly at its worst, it can be that it can be that whole, just like kind of go through the motions of just yep. cranking out a song and, and not in a rehearsal, not in a self self-focused way like you were just talking about it's all about you but just because your attention is on getting this done right so go ahead yeah um so i guess i um sometimes i found with with our services the way they are there's so many details that i attend to to just kind of making sunday mornings go okay um that a lot of times when i will worship on a sunday morning will be um will be um, kind of after we're through our entire first service and halfway through our second service. And I can just sit and listen to a sermon and maybe have a song or two left to do and mm-hmm. feel okay about it, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, so it is, it is hard. Um, I will say things that I, that I, it's hard to do it on Sunday mornings. It's hard to worship on Sunday mornings when you're working in church. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess I do try to really try to cultivate ways that I can worship apart from Sunday mornings. Yeah. And that it don't always involve music. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I, I like to do is I, if I go on a walk, I usually have a podcast that I'm listening to, mm-hmm. you know, that's encouraging me some way, somehow. Um, we live in Waterloo, and so having a job in Cedar Falls, I have a 15 commute, commute one way. Mm-hmm. It's a good time in the car to just be quiet or, yeah. again, listen to a podcast. Um, some of my best times are when I just get to sit at the piano and play around or, yeah. or be creative and, and think about music and what it's saying. You yeah. know. Um, and then I would say the last thing is sometimes, believe it or not, I, I worship during rehearsals. Yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, those are kind of the... Um, pull back the curtain everybody's a little more at ease and you're with um people that you're close with yep you know so i think about the band people that i get to work with closely or even the choir you know and we're all kind of putting something in we're putting we're putting it whatever it is together yeah and um there's a community part of that that's really cool yep um and and i would count them among some of my closest relationships here at the church Mm -hmm. um but when when you just kind of can kind of um let your guard down and just kind of be together in a rehearsal that can be a real worshipful time i'm not as a musician but i've been part of some rehearsals where just kind of like a a sense of worship just kind of falls kind of out of nowhere sometimes yeah a song that you've sung 15 times 
Yep. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, there's kind of this, like, it's like the spirit just kind of empowers something to happen or kind of brings everyone's mind. And it's kind of this, you know, God moment where it's like, wow, that's yep. powerful. Yep. You were talking about um, some new kind of hymn writing stuff that's going on. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a big uh, subscriber to some of the work that Keith and Kristen Getty do. Um, and um, I would count them among, um, there's like certainly guys like Matt Boswell and Matt Papa. And um, I think they kind of have a whole bunch of people now that are kind of taking on this whole modern day hymn writing um, initiative, you know. And again, trying to find what is that music that can be introduced now that's new, but it, you know, hopefully it might stick around for a while you know biblically sound says something and um and uh so i i really like their work i've been fortunate enough to go to some of their conferences um i think one of their their first year was just the rationale for why we sing why do we sing together you know we're created to sing together god's given us this ability um we're commanded in scripture to sing together um we're compelled as a response to sing together and what that, what kind of witness that is for us as a congregation and into the world. Um, and so um, once I had, I had my first exposure that I just knew I had to go back. And I know one year they've, um, they've done a conference that focused exclusively on the old testaments and in particular, the song Psalms and kind of singing through the Psalms. And again, the Psalms um, just are really uh powerful and capturing all of the human experience, mm -hmm. you know, that we talked about um, with some of our other music. Um, I think this year they're looking at doing kind of the life of Christ and um, the Gospels, and probably they'll get into some of the other parts of the New Testament too. Um, but just kind of this arc of of why we sing and then kind of marching through the Bible. And I think it'll kind of all culminate in um, uh, allowing, allowing this, our faith to kind of uh, be shared and known as the hope of the world, you know, that there's a commissioning, a great commission part of, of the conversation. Um, and so I think they write some really, really, really fun music and, and music that's accessible, lines that um, are easy to sing, they're memorable, they're not really wild in terms of, sometimes you hear hear songs and they're, the melody's jumping all over the place or yeah. it's really syncopated. And I just don't think that we do our congregation's service when we when we make things unnecessarily complicated. Yeah. And so I think they do a really good job of packing a punch lyrically with really um, some, some pretty simple and accessible melodies that the average singer could kind of catch on to. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, we're going to do one more run here and this run. So I, I was a custodian, like I said, at the church here when I went to the university of Northern Iowa four years and one of the jobs back then, were you a custodian? I was for a period of time. Yes. Yep. You guys, we had to run sound for weddings and funerals. Did you do, do yes. that too? Yeah. So the sound booth was up in the balcony and is kind of out of the way, but I can't count the number of weddings uh, that I sat through. This is uh, what Bill would have used for a postlude for a wedding. In fact, when I hear this first uh, song, Fanfare by Lemons, it reminds me, I think I've got a memory ingrained in my head of Jen and I walking out of the church after our own wedding. Um, and so he kind of had a way of going it, but I remember I, I loved part of doing sound for weddings is you got to sit up there and after the wedding, he would go through this same kind of routine while the church cleared out. And so we're going to give you, uh, lemons fanfare, Matthias's fanfare, it's Matthias, right? Yep. And, uh, Takata by Vidor. 
and um, just a great festive set of things to send you out on. In fact, I thought there's no way when this is done, I can come back here and do our typical podcast closing announcements. So I'm going to do those right now. I'm going to say a prayer and then we're going to just go straight to the music and you're going to be done. First thing is, is if you've enjoyed this and if you want to go back and hear the music in the show notes, I'm going to put the timestamps for when each song starts so you can get back to the ones that you like. So that should be easy. Um, Also want to just point out that we have uh, kind of changed the way we're doing podcasts here. So we've got the CC podcast conversations. That's what you're hearing this on. Please subscribe to it. If you've enjoyed this, give us a five-star rating and that'll be helpful. And then we've also got the CC podcast, the Daily Dose Devotions. That's a different podcast. And uh, there'll be a link to that in the show notes for this one. Go subscribe to that one too. We're doing a Bible overview right now where we're going from Genesis all the way to the end. And it would be great to have you join us on that Daily Devotions just about a six-minute thing. We're in partnership with uh, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference and Fresh Wind Ministries at Western Home Communities. I think you'll be enriched and blessed by that. And then we've got a third podcast called the CC Broadcast. And what's on there is our weekly radio programming from Steve Kramer and Lee Lavig, our radio preachers. We put that on the CC Broadcast. So you can get the CC Broadcast as well. Subscribe to that. Give it a good rating. And uh, what that allows you to do, a couple of reasons I love these podcasts, is you can listen to them on your own time. If you don't have time to listen to the whole thing at once, you can hit pause and pick it up later. And what I really like, I don't know, Nathaniel, if you do this or not, but I speed up the voice sometimes. Oh. On, on a lot of podcasts, you can go one and a half or two times and just kind of get through the material quicker. And uh, and and so that's, that's good stuff. So check out those podcasts. Uh, thanks so much for being with us today, Nathaniel. Thank you for your time and your energy and uh, your insights. I think a lot of people are going to be blessed by this and really, really enjoy it. Um, let me just say a prayer and then we'll, we'll end it on a bang. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of music. I think the order of music and the, the, uh, just reflects your design and just music itself glorifies you. But when we hear it, the way we've heard it today, it's especially inspiring. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you would continue to use this podcast to stir people who listen to it, to draw them to you, not just to get goosebumps because the music is good, but to be drawn into a deeper understanding of who you are and what you've done and why you are worthy of worship. And Lord, I pray for Nathaniel and his ministry at this church and other worship leaders and people who are charged with the responsibility of helping a congregation worship you through song. Help them to pick songs that are biblical and doctrinally sound and uh, memorable and simple, all the things that Nathaniel was just talking about so they can stick in our hearts and so they can be in our minds uh, during the times that we need to draw on them in this life. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We're excited to meet him in person someday uh, and imagine that the music will be ridiculously better than even this. But until then, we're going to enjoy this, and we thank you for it. We, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's end it with uh, this last run, Fanfare by Lemons and Matthias and Takata by Vidor. Thanks for listening. <laughs>